Motor Trend presents the rubber-burning action of the all-new series Top Gear America. Dax Shepard, Rob Cordry, and motoring journalist and professional racer Jethro Bovington are pushing cars to their limit. So buckle up, because whether they're testing supercars or racing junkyard rescues, these hosts hold nothing back. On January 29th, join us for the joyride and stream the two-episode premiere of Top Gear America, available only on the Motor Trend app. Start your free trial today by going to motortrend.com slash TGA21. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. My microphone would be helpful. Hey, can you hear me better? Can you hear me now? Uh, Here to set you free. How you doing? I'm Leslie Marshall. Happy Tuesday. Uh, But first, before I get into what we're doing in the show today, uh, like we uh, talked to uh, Robert Shapiro, an economic uh, brilliant mind. He'll be joining us uh, back on the show in just a bit. We also have our rip from the headlines, which we will do in a minute. But first, Marky Mark, can you hear me? Can people hear you? Yes, yes. Well, first, I want to say thank you to everybody listening on uh, radio, on stream, on podcast, watching us on Twitter's Periscope, YouTube Live, Facebook Live. Although some days when I'm crunched for time like today, having to like shower because you see me is really a pain in the butt sometimes. <laughs> wow. Uh, hashtag first world problems. Mark, it is Mark's yesterday. Mark and I had an anniversary and Mark and I are not married. We're married to other people. We're actually married to other people. <laughs> Although we we're work best. married. We're like, we're like being married, a brother and sister. We're work husband and wife, right? Mark has been with me for 15 years. And I bet you would, you thought I was going to forget Mark, right? So yesterday I posted on Twitter. I posted on Facebook, but I wanted to say here on the program, Um, that this program would not have ever been possible uh, without you. As you know, uh, Leslie Marshall and all things Leslie Marshall would not and are not and will not be possible without you. And uh, just be on the lookout in the mail because you do have a little anniversary gift coming. But I just want to say thank you. And I want to publicly thank you, not just on Twitter and Facebook. That's easy to do with, you know, a tweet. Just wanted to take a a minute to say uh, you do in- incredible things. Mark does so many things. He doesn't just get great. Uh, he, he He's my, my other part of my brain, which is frightening. <laughs> he often thinks of things before I do. Uh, but he, uh, he, he helps me keep uh, this uh, show going, have great guests, uh, keep the crazy schedule that I have and a balancing act uh, between this television, the column that I write, speaking gigs uh, with, with COVID. And God knows keeps me technologically uh, up to date and um, keeps me young and hip because he's younger and hipper than I am. So I don't know if I've forgotten anything. I, just, just, and a good for and a good friend who is is here to listen when I have days like I posted today where I'm like I can't stand my kids being home from school anymore. <laughs> so I I have to first of all thank you. I am truly from the bottom of my heart honored 
at the words that you just bestowed upon me. It really just means the world to me. And I am the oldest of three kids. I'm, I'm the older brother. So I always had to go first in things. And until I met you, Leslie, I always felt that way. So for the first time in my life, 15 years ago, you know, when we started working together, people don't know, but I first was Leslie's assistant producer and call screener. So I would um, book guests and, and screen calls, but there was, you know, as I found out a lot else to do if you're the executive producer, and I was fortunate enough to become the executive producer of Leslie's show the following year. And then after that, um, she got nationally syndicated for the second time. And we've been doing that ever since 2008. Um, but I just wanted to also thank you. Leslie's been at my wedding. Leslie is a part of my, my wife and my two daughters lives. Um, we shared a wonderful time together, um, right before the pandemic. I'm so happy we got to do that where our families were together on a beautiful boat trip and our kids played together and play hide and go seek. My kids still talk about it. I mean, and they were so little and they still talk about it. Like it just happened, you know, and they refer to Leslie's children and husband and miss miss Leslie. Um, and, uh, you know, it's funny because, you know, we had all those experiences, but we never would have if number one, Leslie didn't take a chance on me. And number two, back in 2008, we were faced with a really unprecedented situation where we thought that the show wasn't going to be able to go on. And Leslie went from being a host to the owner of her show and her own business overnight. And she said to me, and I'll never forget this conversation. I don't know how we're going to do it. I don't know how we're going to make it work, but we're going to make it work. And we've been making it work for the last 13 years after that conversation. So I, I, I love add, you and thank you. I also add that when, when that happened, when, when you go from, you know, we don't want to get into the details, but um, let, let, let's, let's just say when, you know, o overnight you're like, we, we have a major cash flow problem here. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Mark was like, well, I, I, you don't have to pay me you know, for two weeks or for a month. And, you know, and I'm like, no, we're not. No. And you would money. not, you for few, I remember that. And you were just like, absolutely but I mean, the not fact that you offered this and, you know, you, uh, you were, uh, you know, uh, very young, not that you're old. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I told my kids yesterday who know and love you, Mark, I said, it's Marky Mark to my anniversary. And they're like, you're not married. He's when Mark worked <laughs> for me for 15 years. And you know what they said? I didn't think he was that old. <laughs> well, that makes me feel good because I have a little bit, I have to send you a picture i have a little bit of white coming in on my chin hairs so now my girls think it's funny to say at the dinner table dad you don't need any salt and pepper they think it's like the funniest joke ever <laughs> and imagine four and six year old little girls telling the same joke every night you know and it's like yeah. well, well this riot. journey is uh, not over we have no, a, a, it's, a long way to go it is truly an honor though and i'm glad we got to market together and no other place than on air and the last thing i'll say is it's funny when when things like our, our song that you hear at the beginning of the show, um, Wolf Mother's Woman, um, or our, our previous songs we had uh, to, to open the show, Leslie will tell you, you'll be in the grocery store or something, and if you hear that song, all of a sudden your brain goes into radio mode. It's just that like, one of the songs. No, absolutely. When I hear Woman, it's yeah, like, you're just like, like, oh my uh, God. Pavlovian. Yeah, it's like, yes. it's like uh, you gave me, you know, I got to ring the bell to get the food. You know, it's, it's, yes. it's, it's yeah, I, seriously, I mean, it's like, 
It's oh, like a, a physical I'm reaction, isn't it? I don't need to go in there. I know. So anyway, th- you, you're the best. I love you. Thank you. I love you too. <laughs> well, we do have a show to do today, but Mark, you do have something special coming in the mail. Oh, um, and uh, yeah, look, the check is in the mail, right? Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, let's uh, start it off on this Tuesday. I hope you don't mind a little uh, a little of that kind of housekeeping. I think it's fun. Let's check what's ripped from the Today, the House impeachment managers made their case for the indictment of former President Trump in a brief, arguing that he pushed his supporters into a frenzy while dubbing him singularly responsible for the deadly siege that took place at the Capitol on January 6th. Now, here's what they're saying. Democratic managers argue that former President Trump's actions were not protected by the First Amendment, stating, quote, if provoking an insurrectionary riot against a joint session of Congress after losing an election is not an impeachable offense, it is hard to imagine what would be. And by the way, constitutional scholars are very clear that the First Amendment does not cover you if you yell fire in a crowded theater. And that's what is inciting uh, violence or inciting an insurrection or a riot, right? Um, And uh, according uh, to uh, what they wrote additionally, quote, it is impossible to imagine the events of January 6th occurring without uh, President Trump creating a powder keg, striking a match, and then seeking personal advantage from the ensuing havoc. And they went on to say President Trump's responsibility for the events of January 6th is unmistakable. President Trump's effort to extend his grip on power by fomenting violence against Congress was a profound violation of the oath he swore. Now, the trial will begin on February 9th. Representative Jamie Raskin, Democrat from Maryland, will lead the effort to convict former President Trump and bar him from holding office in the future. Uh, The defense will be led by lawyers David Schoen and Bruce L. Castor, Jr., Uh, 45 Senate Republicans, including Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican of Kentucky, supported an effort to dismiss his trial earlier this month, arguing it would not be constitutional to convict a former president. But the House managers uh, rebutted the constitutionality, and they said, quote, the Constitution governs the first day of the president's term, the last day and every moment in between. Presidents do not get a free pass to commit high crimes and misdemeanors near the end of their term. I just want to add, I think it was January 14th he was impeached. He was president when he was impeached. This is now the trial based on that impeachment. So he was not impeached while he was a, a, public, a private citizen. He, he, he already has been impeached. Now, Trump's legal team uh, responded. They said, quote, the Senate of the United States lacks jurisdiction over the 45th president because the holds no public office from which he can be removed, and the Constitution limits the authority of the Senate in case of impeachment uh, to removal uh, from uh, office. And they further argue the article of impeachment misconstrues protected speech and fails to meet the constitutional standard for any impeachable offense. The team says the article presented by the House was also made too broad, making it difficult for senators to indict. They said because the article at issue here alleges multiple wrongs in the single article, it would be impossible to know if two-thirds of the members agreed on the entire article or just on parts as the basis for a vote to convict. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with more Rip from the headlines right after this talk poll. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. We are back. Happy Tuesday. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Um, We continue 
what's ripped from the headlines now. Um, this, I want you to take a listen. Um, if you haven't heard it yet, I heard it earlier. This is Congresswoman AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, recounting her horrifying experience while hiding in her office during that insurrection on January 6th. Take a listen. And I immediately realized that I shouldn't have gone into the bathroom. I should have jumped in the closet. And so I opened the door when all of a sudden I hear that whoever was trying to get inside got into my office. And then I realized that it's too late, that it's too late for me to get into the closet. And so I go back in and I I hide back in, in the bathroom behind the door. And then I just start to hear these yells of, where is she? Where is she? And I just thought to myself, they got inside. And so I hide behind my door and the bathroom door starts going like this. And I just hear, where is she? Where is she? And um, this was the moment where I thought everything was over. And the weird thing about moments like these is that you lose all sense of time. In retrospect, um, maybe it was four seconds, maybe it was five seconds, maybe it was 10 seconds, maybe it was one second, I don't know. It felt like my brain was able to have so many thoughts in that moment. Um, between these screams and these yells of, where is she? Where is she? And so I go down and I just, I mean, I thought I was going to die. And I had a lot of thoughts. You have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> I think when you're in a situation like that. Um, and like also one of those thoughts that I had was, you know, I just happened to, you know, be a spiritual person and be raised in that context. And I, really just felt like, you know, if this is the plan for me, then people will be able to take it from here. I had a lot of thoughts, but that was the thought that I had about you all. I felt that um, if this was the journey that my life was taking, that I felt that things were going to be okay. Um, um, and that, you know, I had fulfilled my purpose. She hid with uh, Katie Porter and Katie Porter um, said on MSNBC, quote, I'm a mom. I'm calm. I have everything we need. We can live for like a month in this office. And then AOC said, I hope I get to be a mom. I hope I don't die today. The, 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 what happened on January 6th, you know, wasn't just, you know, a, a bunch of, of rednecks angry over the election that some of them didn't vote in uh, where Donald Trump lost and Joe Biden won. There were people who wanted to hurt former Vice President Pence and his family, even kill. There are people who wanted to hurt, perhaps even kill, Speaker Pelosi. AOC. We know that Jim Clyburn said, how did they get to my second office that doesn't have my name on the outside? We know that there have been some officers or former military that have been questioned and even arrested 
by the FBI. For somebody to say, we don't have the time, or it might anger somebody, to have the trial after the former president has been impeached, and it was on January 13th, not the 14th, um, it's, it's just insane. I mean, that's like saying, well, let's, you know, not have a trial because we already know the outcome. I mean, there are times a defense attorney knows they're going to lose, but you still, you got to go to trial. You got to try whether you're the plaintiff, which in this case would be the United States Senate or the defendant, which is a former president. And, and, and that's, and that's the truth. You know, there, there are people that are terrified uh, for their lives, many, and, and not just Democrats. But imagine her, her um, yes, that's true. Yeah, it was Mitch McConnell, a Republican, not a Democrat, who made the decision. I knew there was something political in it uh, to postpone the trial. It was Mitch McConnell who now, who said he believed the president, the former president was responsible, and, and he also you know, welcomed the impeachment in the House and then says it's unconstitutional. Why? Because he's no longer president. Why? Because Mitch McConnell said, let's do it after he's no longer president. That's, that's premeditated, in my opinion, premeditated political theater. Sad, very sad. You know, the Republican Party has to decide, do they want to be the party of QAnon or do they want to be the party of Ronald Reagan? That's really th- their decision. And you're seeing that split. And I hope for this nation, it is the latter. Let's rip another. Emmanuel Jackson, a 20-year-old Washington area man, was caught on video using a metal bat to strike the protective shields wielded by police officers as they tried to fend off rioters that were storming the Capitol on January 6th. Jackson's awaiting trial in federal court on assault charges. He's now adopting a novel legal defense, seeking to pin the blame, more and more of them, more than half a dozen now, on Donald Trump citing the former president's remarks at a Stop the Steal rally shortly before the Capitol siege. Now, at that time, at that rally, Trump told the crowd to, quote, fight like hell, quote, we will not take it anymore, and repeated his false claims that the election was stolen from him through widespread voting fraud. Uh, By the way, he also said, let's go to the Capitol. Uh, He exhorted his followers to go to the Capitol. He said he would be walking with them. He didn't. The ensuing rampage interrupted the congressional certification of President Joe Biden's election victory, sent lawmakers into hiding, and five people uh, died, including a police officer. Uh, Jackson's lawyer, actually there's six, two police officers committed suicide as a result of January 6th. And uh, a handful of legislators contracted covid being in such close quarters with some that refuse to wear masks. Jackson's lawyer, Brandy Hardin, wrote in a 22, a January 22nd, excuse me, court filing that, quote, the nature and circumstances of this offense must be viewed through the lens of an event inspired by the president of the United States. And they uh, added, this appears to have been spontaneous and sparked by statements made during the Stop the Steal rally. But we already know that the FBI have, for some, uncovered evidence this was planned. At least six of the 170 people charged in connection with the Capitol siege have tried to, like I said, about half a dozen, uh, to uh, put some of the blame on Trump as they're defending themselves or trying to in, in not only court, but in the court of public opinion. Others are taking uh, the others that take this route are Jacob Chansley. He's the guy that had the horned headdress and wanted to eat organic uh, and had the face paint during the attack. Dominic Pozzola, he's a member of the Proud Boys right-wing extremist group, 
He's accused of shattering a window in the Capitol with a stolen police shield so the rioters could enter. Quote, the boss of the country said, people of the country, come on down, let people know what you think. That's what his defense lawyer said. The logical thinking was he invited us down. Uh, Lawyers have not yet sought dismissal of the charges or acquittal during this trial uh, based on that idea. Um, I'm Leslie Marshall. That's what's written from the headlines. Coming up, uh, Robert Shapiro is in the house. We'll be back with him right after this. Don't go away. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. We are back. I'm Leslie Marshall, and he is back as well. He is Dr. Robert Shapiro, chairman of Sonicon, an economic advisory firm, and a senior fellow of the McDonough School of Business at Georgetown University. He's an internationally known economist. He's advised, among others, former President Bill Clinton, former Vice President Al Gore Jr., former British Prime Ministers Tony Blair and Gordon Brown, and when they were senators, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. He was Under Secretary of Commerce for Economic Affairs in the Clinton administration. His website is sonicon.com, S-O-N-E-C-O-N.com, and on Twitter, follow him at Rob Shapiro. Dr. Shapiro, more than a pleasure to have you back on the show. Thank you for being with us today, and welcome. Always a pleasure, Leslie. And it's uh, good good to have you with us. Um, r- right now, we have, it's so weird, it, it, it's almost like when Republicans are in office and they have the majority in the Senate and they have their guy in the White House, it's almost like the issue of debt goes out the window when you have a pandemic. Um, but of course, that seems to be a big deal for Republicans now. A lot of whining from Republicans when you look at uh, President uh, Biden, a Democrat, opting for growth and for equity. Uh, Congressional Republicans eagerly supported massive increases in the budget deficit under their uh, Republican President Donald Trump, but they've been quick um, to, you know, scream all of their concerns about the deficit so they can denounce current President uh, Joe Biden's 1.9 trillion American rescue plan. In the words of Florida Senator Rick Scott, quote, the plan is just massive spending with no accountability. A, is that true? And B, do we have to have that during a pandemic? Does fiscal responsibility, if you will, go out the window to a degree? Well, the fact is we do need the plan. And it's actually pretty fiscally responsible because as opposed to, for example, the Trump tax cuts, which which drove up the deficit year after year after year because it's permanent, The rescue plan is all temporary spending, or almost all temporary spending, which will go away when the pandemic goes away. This is one-time spending, so it doesn't add to what economists call the structural deficit. It's a a short-term increase, and frankly, if you really look at it, it's pretty moderate. Um, The fact is, you've got $935 billion uh, to help Americans offset losses from the pandemic. That's the $1,400 checks, the expanded unemployment benefits, and some tax benefits for low-income working families and families with children. Well, the fact is, real personal income has been declining 
ever since the first rescue package ran out. Um, and in October, November, December, uh, real, real personal income was running about 10.5% below April levels. Well, on an annual basis, that would mean that real personal income is what was down at a rate of $2.1 trillion. So the $935 billion in aid to individuals is equal to only half of the decline in real personal income. Um, and, you know, the same thing, we can also note what's happened in unemployment. Uh, unemployment is rising again. We've had initial claims for unemployment benefits have been about 850000 per week over the last month, and that's on top of around 17 million continuing claims for unemployment. The Republicans cut the uh, expanded benefits for jobless Americans. What this does is it restores it. Now, it's kind of hard to argue against, uh, against that unless you use some, kind of, some straw man, like what it's going to do to the deficit, when in fact, if you look out two years, it will do nothing to the deficit except reduce it by supporting the economy, which ultimately produces more yes, revenue. That's what, that's what I was going to say. If people have no money and they have no job to go back to because of this pandemic, whether a business has been closed, the company doesn't have enough money um, you know, to uh, pay them. Um, you know, or just because they cannot be in proximity with others in that particular setting um, and, you know, they're not able to work from home. This one, first of all, you're avoiding a disaster, a few disasters. One, the housing disaster and the rental disaster, right? Yes. Uh, because they can pay their rent or mortgage. And then the other is, well, what do people do with money? We spend it. Whether it, once we pay our bills, the rest of it we spend on, and I'm not just talking about buying fun stuff on Amazon delivered, you know, quickly with Prime, you know, food, uh, you know, you're going to buy more food, right? Um, and other supplies at places like, you know, a Target, uh, you know, Walmart or whatever. But Wait, bottom line, oh. like you said, you're injecting money into the economy. Right. So it, it is a win-win. Now, Republicans know this, Dr. Shapiro, and you talk about this so well in your pieces, one of which I'm referencing now, Biden ops for growth and equity while Republicans whine. Um, and you said, so let us apply another dormant standard to the plan and the GOP's response, namely facts and real economics. By those standards, President Biden's pandemic stimulus program, far from putting the economy at risk, represents a pretty conservative approach to stabilize the economy and defeat the pandemic. Now, not that. The, the Republicans among us are any more than the Democrats have your economic mind, but some of them do have an economic background. They know this. Doesn't it behoove them politically to be on board? Because don't they want to look like people that handed out checks and kept people in their homes and helped the economy rather than whined about a deficit that this is not going to affect? You would think so. But the Republican Party is right now in the midst of its own civil war. Yes. Between the radicals, who I consider kind of American forms of fascists, versus the conservative establishment. Opposing the Biden agenda may be the only thing they can agree on. Um, and I think the radicals in the Republican Party would certainly attack the establishment conservatives who said 
wait a minute, we really need to go along with this. The country needs it. You know, the economy needs it. This, this is responsible with a couple changes, which, you know, there's always some negotiation. If you're willing to support it, um, you know, in the Obama administration, we made lots and lots of concessions to the Republicans, both on the stimulus and on the health care. And after accepting their demands, they still all opposed it. Well, we're not going to make that mistake again. Um, if Republicans, I'm sure the White House would make some modifications for Republicans if they would agree to vote for it. But um, I, I, I suspect they won't, that this is going to have broad opposition from the Republican Party. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that, because, you know, when you're talking about 1,400, you know, in checks for most households, expanded unemployment benefits, tax benefits for low-income working families and families with children, um, you worked in the Clinton White House. And Bill Clinton um, was one of a handful of presidents, and not just Democrats, Republicans have done it too, but since you worked for him, and he was a Democrat, he was he was great at working with the other side. Yes. But the other side also has to be willing. So President Joe Biden has a great relationship with many Republicans, is liked and respected by many Republicans, got a lot of grief for saying that he doesn't hate Republicans and wants to work with Republicans. Um, is it a different time based on your experience having worked in the Clinton White House with the Republican Party then versus now? Um, and, and does that make it much more difficult for Joe Biden to cut deals with Republicans? Absolutely. And just think of it this way, Leslie. You've got a, a majority of the Republican caucus in the House and probably a third of the Republican caucus in the Senate who believe that uh, Joe Biden is not a legitimate president, uh, who's, who, who believe that Donald Trump was reelected. And consequently, they are prepared to attack any Republicans who work with an illegitimate president. Um, we will have to see if, if, if the 2022 midterms produce a blue wave against a radicalized Republican Party, then I think you'll begin to see establishment Republicans breaking away because their own fate will also be on the line. But who's winning from your perspective uh, in the Republican Party, uh, the, the QAnon folks or the, you know, moderate, you know, Republican type uh, Republicans? I don't think Reagan, excuse me, Reagan type Republicans. Right. I don't think there's any doubt that the radicals have the upper hand right now. Wow. The, the only, uh, you know, we're seeing moderates like Rob Portman retire. We saw Jeff Flake retire. He was another moderate. Richard Burr, another moderate, is going to retire. Uh, moderate conservative, that is. Uh, and the, the ascendance is people like Say don't, don't want to say her name out loud. Hang on, hang on to that thought, Dr. Shapiro. We'll be right back with you. We'll talk more about the economy, uh, but politics is definitely weighing into the decisions. A thumbs up, a thumbs down uh, in D.C. I'm Leslie Marshall. Back with our guest. Back with you right after this. Don't go away. 
We're back on Leslie Marshall, and we are back with Dr. Robert Shapiro, chairman of Sonicon and senior fellow of McDonough School of Business at Georgetown University, former Undersecretary of Commerce for Economic Affairs in the Clinton administration. His website is sonicon.com, S-O-N-E-C-O-N.com. And on Twitter, follow him at Rob Shapiro. Dr. Shapiro, thank you for holding. Uh, welcome back. We were talking about the uh, stimulus package that you feel is conservative, you feel is necessary, you don't feel it's massive spending, you don't feel it will uh, affect the deficit, uh, such as Republicans uh, keep stating. Uh, but there's something else that people feel makes President Joe Biden a radical progressive, um, and that is uh, the uh, floating about of free tuition and the impact you write about in your piece, the impact of free tuition at public colleges and universities. But before we go to that, though, um, I, I, I want to finish up with any other remarks that you have to say, um, because we were talking about you don't think Republicans will go along um, or uh, work in a bipartisanship manner um, with uh, President Biden and with the Democrats, uh, despite that two hour meeting, especially when they came in at less than a third of the original dollar amount Joe Biden was asking for. That's certainly not a good faith negotiation starting point, I would say. No, although there are ways to kind of split the baby here. That is, you could agree on 600 billion as a standalone bill for part of it, and then you could pass the rest of it in reconciliation. Um, and so that is one way to kind of show some bipartisanship and still get what the country needs and what the Democratic caucus is also demanding. Uh, this is, um, you know, uh, um, Democratic caucus generally will follow a Democratic president, but you want to keep that it's not just, you know, the stimulus bill is probably the easiest thing to pass. It's going to be followed by things that are going to be harder, um, things like expanding health care and the infrastructure bill, uh, which will include a lot of green infrastructure. And and, and and green infrastructure, infrastructure is an area where you do have bipartisan support. It's just how much and where you put it. And, you know, everybody wants to call Joe Biden specifically with regard to West Virginia and New Mexico a job killer right now when you look at the coal industry. Um, but. If you if you can come to an agreement on infrastructure, you're going to create more jobs than were eliminated. Absolutely. Look, these are all his his build back better program are all classic public investments in infrastructure, um, in education, in healthcare. All of these all of these forms of spending have very high rates of return. And they strengthen the economy. They they improve prospects for individuals. Um, these are the classic things that government is supposed to take care is, of. Is it is it an FDR like approach? Well, um, you know, I I think that actually, yes, in a certain sense, in that it is very big initiatives. Um, but the fact is, you know, FDR was dealing with an economy that had collapsed from within, that was really structurally unsound and collapsed. And so it needed extensive regulation and, and, and totally new programs. But what we have here is an economy that has been hit by an outside shock, the pandemic. 
And the fact is, the number one job for Joe Biden is to deal with this pandemic. And, and there's $640 billion in the rescue plan to do that. Um, once he does that, the economy should come back pretty strong. Um, we economists like myself, and I know my friends in the Biden administration, have become very optimistic about what what we're going to be looking like uh, in 2022. So if you're optimistic... When the pandemic is over. Doctor, sorry for the interruption. Being that you're optimistic, um, then I would imagine that you don't agree with Republicans who say raising taxes to fund all of this will cripple our economy. Well, we shouldn't raise taxes now, but we'll be in a fine position to raise taxes on corporations and high-income people in 2023, for example. You know, we think that, you know, we could be looking at, in 2022, at rates of growth not seen since the bounce back from the Reagan recession. Really? Uh, yes. And uh, this could be, if we could, if we get a hold of the pandemic and beat it, um, I think we're going to be growing at a very strong rate going into the midterms. It will be a very good year. Well, that's that's nice to hear something something positive. So let's go back to what we uh, you know I wanted to touch upon too is you wrote a piece the impact of free tuition at public colleges and universities, and um, this is uh, something you said as crises are wrote as crises as, as crises go access to a college education may not be as pressing as the pandemic and the assaults on the constitution, but it is one of our most serious ongoing crises, and. But why is that? You talk about um, the the narrowing of opportunities for uh, millions of Americans. Can you speak to that? Sure. Here's what's happened. You know, it used to be that a college education was not necessary to be upwardly mobile. You could work in a factory or a big office with a high school diploma and you could get ahead. Uh, in the last 20 to 30 years, the link between education and uh, income has become very strong, much stronger than it used to be. And at the same time, the cost of a college education has skyrocketed. And the result is enormous disparities in college enrollments and college graduation rates based simply on income. It's not as if kids from lower or moderate income families aren't as smart as those from upper middle class or upper income families. They are. But if you if you look at the numbers, they're really shocking. If you're from a household in the top 20%, your likelihood of going to college is 78%. If you're from a family in the bottom 20%, your likelihood of going to college is 28%. That's a 50 percentage point difference. And the same thing uh, also applies to college graduation rates. Uh, and the reason is that college is so expensive for so many right. kids. So we did a study of what would be the impact of the Biden program of free tuition at community colleges for in-state students and free tuition at state public universities for in-state students from families earning less than $125,000.
And the bottom line is make it free and they will come. Um, we, now, now, what about playing devil's advocate? What about people that say, well, that's all well and good, but we, we need people who don't uh, go to college, but rather get an education like at trade schools to do, you know, the, the, the manual labor that's definitely needed in this country. Will that have a negative impact if more and more people, um, you know, go, go to college? And will there be less and less jobs when they get out if we have, you know, the, the simple supply and demand model? Well, in fact, you know, that that describes a that kind of training describes about half of what most community colleges do. Uh, these are two year courses and they can be in computer programming. They can be in electricity. Right. Uh, they could be in plumbing. They have all of these trade courses at community at, at many community colleges. So in fact, what we're looking at there is access to the kind of training that can get you certified as a master plumber or a master and get you a job and a better paying job because you have that certification. Yeah, get you a better paying job exactly. Um, well, well, doctor, we have less than 60 seconds. What's the last thing you want to leave our listeners with today? Well, the last thing is that, you know, free college tuition, this is really about the prospects for upward mobility for millions of young Americans. The fact is, we have unraveled upward mobility in this country. And we've done it on the basis of income. And that is fundamentally unfair. Right. And the fact is, you know, the, the tuition plan also would stimulate the economy because uh, by assuming tuition costs at public uh, two and four year institutions, you're increasing the disposable incomes of millions of families. Right. And that's and like you said, it's a win win. Right. Because you're, you're you're leveling the playing field and you're also economically benefiting as a nation. Doctor, I love you. You know that I want you to come back. Of course, you will. Uh, once again, <laughs> Dr. Robert Shapiro, Sonicon.com. That's his website. Check it out. S-O-N-E-C-O-N.com. And please follow him on Twitter at Rob Shapiro. I'm Leslie Marshall. A shout out to my 15 year anniversary executive producer, Mark Romaldi. And uh, thank you for that, buddy. And uh, everybody have a great day. Mask up, socially distance, don't gather, and don't prevent people from getting vaccines. As a matter of fact, if you can get one, you should. I'm Leslie Marshall. Motor Trend presents the rubber-burning action of the all-new series Top Gear America. Dax Shepard, Rob Corddry, and motoring journalist and professional racer Jethro Bovington are pushing cars to their limit. So buckle up, because whether they're testing supercars or racing junkyard rescues, these hosts hold nothing back. On January 29th, join us for the joyride and stream the two-episode premiere of Top Gear America, available only on the Motor Trend app. Start your free trial today by going to motortrend.com TGA21. Motor Trend presents the rubber-burning action of the all-new series Top Gear America. Dax Shepard, Rob Corddry, and motoring journalist and professional racer Jethro Bovington are pushing cars to their limit. So buckle up, because whether they're testing supercars or racing junkyard rescues, these hosts hold nothing back. On January 29th, join us for the joyride and stream the two-episode premiere of Top Gear America, available only on the Motor Trend app. Start your free trial today by going to motortrend.com TGA21.